you cannot over-exaggerate how important trust is in a society to get it to function. Trust? Sounds a bit fluffy, doesn't it? Is it really that important? We've seen the last decade what happens in society when trust is uh, diminishing. This is Hilde Sandvik, a Norwegian journalist. She's pointing out a significant global trend, the decline in mutual trust. We're not only talking about the trust between fellow human beings, but also trust in the government. And there's also rising accusations of fake news and lies, general distrust in facts, and loads of conspiracy theories flying around. And some people even consider scientific research as a cover for hidden political agendas. But why should we care about the rapid spread of distrust? Well, first of all, a lack of trust makes it difficult for the government to introduce policies that are intended for the common good. Take the fight against COVID-19, for example. If large parts of the population refuse to follow the rules and guidelines, let alone get vaccinated, it becomes very difficult to stop the virus from spreading. When compared to other parts of the world, the Nordic countries have encountered fewer challenges, and the fight against COVID has been a relative success. And most experts say that this is due to, you named it, the high level of mutual trust found in the Nordic region. In this episode, we look at how the Nordics have managed to build up this level of trust. We'll learn about how Denmark, Sweden, Norway, Finland and Iceland refuse to succumb to the general trend of distrust. And we look at what's necessary for countries around the world to break the vicious circle of distrust and denial and turn it into something positive instead. I'm Afton Halloran, and you're listening to the Nordic Talks podcast. The other day, I was buying a lamp, secondhand lamp in Oslo. Uh, I was there on a day. I, I said to the man, I can come to you this afternoon. He said, I'm not home, I'm at work, but I will put my lamp outside in the shed. You can pick it up there. I mean, he didn't ask for money and it was unlocked and it was in the central part of Oslo. And I, I thought when, when I picked up the lamp and paid it, uh, I thought, I love this. I love it that we can we can have a society like this. And then I know that people talk about the Nordic people as being naive. But you know what? I, I rather want to be naive. I rather want to have this security feeling that, okay, this can happen. I could have uh, taken away the lamp uh, and made it impossible for him to reach me ever again. But why should I? Because when he also shows me the trust, I want to show him the trust. Hilde is the host of the radio program The Norwegian, The Swede and The Dane, broadcast on national radio in Norway, Sweden and Denmark. She's a well-known commentator on politics and society in the Nordic countries. But Hilde is not the only one who thinks that social trust is important. When I trust that others will cooperate, then I also want to cooperate, that I'm more likely to cooperate myself. This is Peter Tistel Dinesen. He's a professor of political science at the University of Copenhagen and University College London. 
His research focuses on the formation of social and political attitudes, especially social trust. First of all, there's, there's different forms of trust. And uh, the one I'm interested in and, and the one that I think is particularly relevant uh, for society uh, more broadly is, is what is sometimes referred to as generalized social trust. And it basically means trust in strangers, uh, trust in people we don't know. Uh, so this could be a person that we meet randomly on the street or, or anywhere else that we don't actually have a lot of information about. So it's not trust in, in family or friends that we know well, but it's, it's trust in people that we don't have any, any prior, prior information about, basically. And this type of trust is important because it facilitates a cooperation between strangers, between people who don't know each other, which can otherwise be hard. Uh, and uh, that's important. Uh, so it's this idea that, you know, whether we cooperate or not depends on whether we think other people will actually do the same. So if we trust them to do that, that means we're also more likely to, to do so, to cooperate ourselves. This has a number of implications. And, uh, you know, this cooperative behavior manifests itself in, for example, we're more likely to pay our taxes. We're more likely to recycle, for example. We observe various rules and regulations. But it could also be sort of more informal ways of, of behaving that can sort of be be good for, for other people in general. So you basically take other people's uh, utility or interest a little bit into more into account when, when you have high levels of trust. And, you know, the consequence of having a high number of trusters acting in this cooperative manner is that you have, uh, I guess, what you could call a more agile, uh, more well, uh, like well-functioning and more smooth society. Okay, I get that trust is important, but do we all need to trust one another? If you ask Brigitte Alster, the answer is yes. She's a German-Danish journalist and the director of Arena for Journalism in Europe, a foundation supporting cross-border collaborative and investigative journalism. Trust is like the air we don't think about. We only notice it in the moment it's not there. And then from, from this very personal level, we can think, okay, trust is everywhere. It's when we trade, when we deposit our money in the bank, we, we trust the, the employer and the bank to, to, to put, put forward our salary and that we can buy some food or paid rent for the salary. Trust is everywhere. So if we, if we think that uh, the trust is threatened, then we have a problem. Um, so th this is like the worst case. Um, and also if you think of it from a sort of security point of view in society, we have a, a monopoly of power with our governments because we trust them to not abuse it. If this trust would be diminished or gone, then all of a sudden, what do we do with the monopoly of power? Um, Trust is life-giving. It's like air. We have to really, really take care of it. Now let's turn to one of the biggest issues of our time, the COVID-19 pandemic. Here, the level of trust between members of society has played a key role in determining the success of reducing the spread of the disease. Trust level and COVID is uh, something to dive into as researcher. I would uh, guess after if we ever come in an after situation, uh, because obviously if we're gonna handle this crisis as COVID is for the world, uh, we also need a high level of trust 
uh, that the governments, uh, that the politicians, that the health personnel actually are there uh, in our good or, or want good. Uh, so that is, of course, a big, big, big issue. According to Brigitte, the difference between trust and distrust is visible when comparing the Nordics with German-speaking parts of Europe. When we treat COVID, trust is, is all over the place. We need I mean, the, the big question is the vaccines, uh, the testing, all these kind of things. Again, it's a system built on trust. We trust our health care um, personnel that they will not give us poison and then we take the vaccine and then we hope for the best. Um, still, none of us who, or the fewest of us who are um, are pharmacists or, or um, medicine experts, so we don't know what they're putting into the vaccine, yet we go there and we get it because we think it is good for our society. So this is our contribution to society to take the chance of this little potential side effect that any vaccine may have. We go there, we say this is good for our society, I contribute because I trust the doctors, because I trust our health system. And then I see, as you know, I have contacts in Germany and I see a massive distrust uh, among people there um, who are very explicit uh, about not trusting the government, the health system, uh, and and not you know violating basically their rights, and that in some cases verbally grows very vehement, where I would see fear or anger or or other emotions, but it's it's really questioning not just the vaccines, uh, it's questioning the constitutions, it's questioning fundamental rights immediately. So the moment the trust is diminished, everything gets shaky. And in the whole COVID discussion is a very good example of that. And I see this much more explicit in the German-speaking area than in the Nordic countries. Hilda agrees that there are significant differences. I think we are very lucky up north. If we see also the number of people having the vaccination in this area, it's very high. But you can also see it within our countries because uh, the Nordic countries chose different patterns or different uh, ways of dealing with COVID. But still you had a big trust level within the society, even though the Swedes chose something very else from the, uh, from, from the rest of the Nordics, uh, the, the trust level has still been high. But then when you dive into vaccination, for instance, and the numbers, you can also see that there are parts of societies also within our countries where mistrust is there. And you can also see that it has been huge uh, differences between how many people have taken the vaccinations from people born within uh, the Nordic countries and people born outside of the Nordic countries. And um, where you can see that there are people coming from societies where distrust is there, less eager to have the vaccination. Uh, so also within our countries, you can see that the level of trust is not... Uh, fairly distributed. It's uh, different. 
And I think that is something to really reflect upon and uh, see what can we do about that. Peter also sees differences around Europe. I mean, as a general matter, I think it, it, it's fair to say that if trust is lower, that that makes certain things harder to achieve, basically, as a, as, as a, as a society, essentially. And, and uh, yeah, so therefore, any country that has lower trust, I think, will face problems. And I think we've also seen that throughout Europe. You know, France is probably a good example where there's low low trust in government, but also low low interpersonal trust. And uh, I think that has been part of the barrier to, for example, vaccination and, and other ways of, uh, of, of basically limiting uh, the consequences of, of the pandemic. The COVID-19 pandemic has been a good example of how important trust is. But rising distrust goes well beyond the challenges of fighting the pandemic. According to Brigitte, there are other factors that undermine trust. We live in turbulent times. There is no question about that. And COVID is only one element of it. We've seen international relations changing where, where there had been a sort of a calm uh, status quo since the basically the Second World War and since the fall of the Berlin Wall. And now there are turbulences, let's put it that way. And in, in times of turbulences, there is even more need for trust and because trust would give a robustness against any attempts to disrupt, any attempts to destabilize. So what we see now is a fragility, it's a fragile situation and any fragile situation uh, is very tempting for some forces to do destabilization. If I can elaborate a little bit on what uh, what you're sa- talking about here, uh, I was thinking about, I moderated, I had uh, hosted a couple of sessions with a professor from uh, from London School of Economics called Andrea Rodriguez Posse. He has written a very famous article now called uh, The Revenge from the Places That Don't Matter. And it's connected to the trust level, but it's also connected to media whose stories are told. And what he was actually diving into is what happens to a society when you get the story that you don't matter any longer. What happens then? Then you will have the yellow vests. Uh, Perhaps you will get Brexit from it. Uh, You get upheavals and populism. Uh, And I think for a very, very long time, media also didn't see the dark sides, the really dark side of not telling people's stories and not even researching into it. And it leads to evaporating trust. Because if you no longer feel that the story is yours, then who should you then trust? Because I have my story and it's not told. Uh, People don't listen. Uh, They don't ask questions. Uh, Why should I then trust Through the Arena for Journalism's efforts, Brigitte is doing her part to counter this trend throughout Europe. When we talk about involving the communities to produce journalism, so one of the examples we looked into, and I was inspired by your remark on the Yellow Vests, um, there's a severe housing, affordable housing problem across Europe. And many people feel threatened. They are afraid to be evicted. 
they're afraid that they cannot afford their home anymore. They are afraid that they cannot find an affordable home within a, a distance where they in, in the field in the part of the world where they want to live. And they feel they're not listened to. And there is this sense of being powerless. And I think this is very much connected to trust. So if if you feel that you are powerless, that you're not involved, you're not part of the society, um, that is very closely connected to trust. And here, obviously, journalism has a major role in trying to gather these voices, give people the, the feeling of being listened to, but not only just the feeling, also then bringing the sum of these voices to whoever should participate in this larger discussion, the larger societal discourse. Can I also add, of course, since I sit uh, on a board uh, of a big uh, media group uh, and uh, we have, I mean, 70, almost 80 uh, local media um, houses around in, in, uh, in Norway and also now in Sweden. But for me, it is very important to put this into the context of democracy, because if you don't have locally reported news, uh, then it is a danger that democracy will uh, meet lots of uh, difficulties and obstacles on the down the road. And that's why I really much like the title of uh, Rodriguez Posa's uh, article, The Revenge from the Places That Don't Matter, because that revenge can be very, very serious and very dangerous for the liberal democracy as we tend to say is closest to our hearts. Uh, so that is, uh, for me, uh, what also you talked about now, Birgit, is uh, very, very important, I think, when we dive into all the issues around trust. Uh, but then also, I mean, during COVID, lots of good things happened as well, because you could also see that people then... Uh, they chose to go back to traditional news media organizations. As, at least in the Nordics, uh, you could see a leap there that when people kind of chose to go to the biggest media houses to get informed of what was happening. And that, I, th I think we should also see on the, uh, look at, upon those positive signs. So this brings us back to the Nordics. How come this region has achieved such a high level of trust? Coming from Germany to Denmark and experiencing the trust in the authorities that is prevalent here was rather impressive. This is Brigitte. Sometimes also even worrying in the sense that currently in these, the, the past two decades, for example, we get... Um, massive rise in, in surveillance, digital surveillance, not least. And in Germany, there is a very explicit discussion about that. How much do we want? Why do we want it? Uh, how, what do we not want? And this is very clearly with a historical memory of the use of personal data being deadly for in some cases or dangerous at least. And this is this goes for the, the, the history of the under the Third Reich and it also goes for the history after 
in particular in the eastern part of, of Germany after 45. And so there is a very clear um, historical lack of trust in authorities having lists of names. And this translates then into digital surveillance where there is a massive distrust and we discuss it and we don't want it and no, no, no. Whereas in, when I moved to Denmark, I realized while the authorities have all the information, it would be uh, in Germany, this would be unthinkable of to share so much information with the authorities and to centralize this information about the individual citizen as much as it is in, in now Denmark, which I know best. And, and that, that is totally connected with trust. And so there is also the, the historical experience with trust or distrust with one's government is, I think, plays a role in when we compare, now when I can compare the, the German speaking and the, and the Danish. Some would argue that it's easier to achieve a high level of trust in a small country like Denmark than in a big one like Germany. Of course, you're right. The German trust their government far less than the Nordics. 42% in the last survey I, I looked into, uh, for 74% in, in Norway. Uh, so that's a big difference, 64% in, in Sweden. And I don't think it's only a matter of what how big the country is. I very often come into discussions about this because if you talk to Americans, for instance, they say it's so easy for the Nordics because they're so small countries. But if you then dive into small countries at like Bosnia or on the Balkans, or, or you can see all kinds of small countries in, the, in Europe where the trust level is low. So I don't think it's only a matter of being small. What is it about then? I think it is a unique resource we have in the Nordic countries. And I think it's not by far, I mean, obviously not the only explanation for the, the relative success in various regards of the Nordic countries. But I think it's, it's part of the explanation. It's part of the recipe, if you will. Uh, you know, the, the big question in connection with this is sort of, uh, so is trust basically what, what founded like the Nordic model broadly speaking, you know, uh, with the redistribution uh, through the welfare state, with low levels of corruption and so on and so forth. Not that those things are unnecessarily connected, but, uh, you know, is that is that basically a product of trust? Or on the other hand, are those features of the Nordic model basically what 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 enabled the creation of trust? Uh, you know, in, like so it's like a chicken and egg problem. Did the Nordic societal model develop because of trust or did trust actually develop after the Nordic societal model? Well, it doesn't really matter whether it was the chicken or the egg that came first. In fact, many countries aspire to reach the same level of trust that we have here in the Nordic countries. But how do we break the vicious circle of distrust and denial? The state can actually engender, it can actually create trust in other people by uh, essentially acting in a, in a fair and, and uncorrupt manner. Uh, and, and, and people use that sort of... A, as a base of inference about whether other people can be trusted or not. Um, so, so the state can sort of lay the foundation for actually people trusting each other. Uh, so, so, you know, by having uncorrupt, fair, reasonably effective, uh, efficient institutions that monitor and sanction untrustworthy behavior, you basically, as a state, lay, lay, the, lay, lay the foundation for, for trusting relationships between people because you regulate those, uh, those relationships 
through the institutions that you have in place in a society. And, and you know, if they function, in, again, in, um, in, a, in a fair and impartial manner, that tends to sort of create positive interactions between, between citizens, which, you know, then leads to trust being developed. Brigida also sees the importance of fighting against corruption. And she thinks that critical journalism plays a major role in this struggle. I do play a role in innovation of journalism in Europe when I, I teach collaborative journalism, which is which is um, a movement now. And there, trust, again, is a crucial element, which we discuss in the teams, but which we also now, when we talk about collaboration between journalists, so editorially coordinated contributions from audiences or the people formerly called audiences, um, there, we, we develop trust-based models of journalism, and we share that across Europe. And when I, when I do trainings, when I talk with people, when I give presentations, and when I teach, I see a, a big interest, a hunger for collaborative, trust-based way of working, because it just does us good. It does it. It does good for a human being to breathe air, right? It does good for human beings to to include trust in our life and to meet res- meet people respectfully, meet the um, our citizens respectfully. When the, the article you mentioned before, Hilda, the re- revenge of the places that don't matter, the the yellow vests all these people who don't feel they are listened to, people who are in fear of being evicted. And when they talk with journalists who then tell them, hey, we look into that, we look into that all across Europe. This is an important moment of trust building. And there um, maybe a tiny little bit of my Danish socialization can contribute in, in giving me extra energy to push these developments. But there are other ingredients in the trust building recipe. It is also that you can believe in bureaucracy to treat you the same way as he or she will treat another person. And that is also the thing that the transparency, the non-corruption society is also building upon this trust model. Because when I go to the hospital, I know that I won't have to pay my doctor to, to do a proper surgery. Uh, because I know that if I come there, another person come there and uh, yet another one, that we will be treated the same way. And that is very much the, 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 the source of trust building, that we have a tr- democracy and, and bureaucracy uh, working on a level that is not based upon likes and dislikes. If you start distrusting a person at an office, public office somewhere, if you start to suspect that this person treats me differently, then the trust level will sink very, very fast. One thing, you know, that I think is important. This is Peter. Is this very high sensitivity to anything that could be construed as corrupt behavior or sort of improper behavior uh, on part of authorities, uh, you know, things that are maybe not even corruption per se, but then just looked at as like abuse uh, of, of public funds or something like that. I think I think that is actually very, very important because that mentality keeps 
politicians and 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 you know bureaucrats and other people that are representing the state on their toes. I mean, that's a way of signaling we don't accept this kind of behavior, which then you know constrains corruption. And then you know, from having low corruption, basically we 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 maintain these high levels of trust that uh, that that are then you know a very productive factor, of course, both for for society, but it's also of course important in people's own private lives, right? Because that trust enables us to form these bonds with other people and, and have you know, engage in productive relationships with them. Speaking of our private lives, what can each and every one of us do to build and promote trust? Peta answers first. To some extent, the sort of the banal answer is, or the obvious answer is that, you know, treat other people as you would like to be treated by yourself, like this, you know, general principle. But I mean, more generally, I think actually related to what I said before, I think it's good that people, you know, uh, keep themselves informed about what's going on in society, that they, uh, you know, they protest if they see uh, things that are not uh, being done in the right way. And, and again, that's a way of constraining those in power, basically, and ultimately also sort of animating them to to um, maintain like clean government. And that's basically uh, what we are, you know, benefiting from uh, on, on an everyday level in, in the Nordic country. So I think that is that is important. This is Brigitte. Listen to people and take them seriously. So respect is another aspect very closely connected to trust. And Hilde? Be honest. I mean, we can all be honest. I mean, that is, uh, you cannot create trust if you're not honest yourself. Honesty and respect. Those are values that I can support. As Peta put it earlier, if you believe another person wants to cooperate, you're more likely to cooperate yourself. When someone feels trusted, they tend to trust in return. This is how we create positive feedback loops. And it's not just about the trust shared between citizens. Trusting government is one of the most important foundations of stable political systems. Trust is the foundation of society. But even in the Nordic region, trust is something that we need to protect. sure to follow Nordic Talks on Instagram and LinkedIn. You'll get the latest information on upcoming events, new podcast episodes, and much more. I'm Afton Halloran. Thanks for listening.